What's cracking in, Monster Baiters? This is the unfortunately named Monster Porn Podcast, and we've got something a little different for you today. Matt and I were unable to collaborate in person for this episode, due to the fact that I am under quarantine for a possible exposure to the Wu flu. So we've had Matt record a short, strange story for you and send it in. Unfortunately, he had to record this on his phone, so we'll ask you to bear with the quality of the audio. My thanks to Matt for doing what we had to do in order to produce any show at all today. So, what we've got are a couple short stories for you. Matt offers up his tale, Pastimes, and then I give you mine, called The Future is Boned, or Why Did the Incel Cross the Road? But first, here's a word from our backwards hat guy. Good day, monsterbators. All right, well, I hope everybody's doing well, staying indoors and staying safe. I know this is a crazy time right now, and we all have our beliefs and opinions and and thoughts, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I just hope everyone's doing okay, and that we're all keeping it together, and hopefully things get better for us all shortly. Oh, oh, you're better for you guys. What about me? God, get out of here. Shut up, pig. And my dog that just made noise in the background. That's a new addition to monster porn. Animal sounds by the dog that won't shut up. Just kidding. I don't talk to my pets like that. Not often, anyways. Anyways, this will be a little different this week. Uh, Brett and I are having to record remotely. Not that where we live is on lockdown or anything, but it's just uh, there's inclement weather, uh, weather, <laughs> inclement weather, and some other things going on. There will also be some editing issues as I'm recording this on my phone, not in the studio. Not that we have a studio; it's just a room in Brett's house. But you get the point. Our equipment is not available to me. So, yeah, it might be a little choppier and uh, less trim and trim, prim and proper. <laughs> Not that we've ever been prim and proper. Brett, edit as much of this out as you want and, uh, and use what you want for the blooper reel. Anyways, yep, everybody stay safe, stay indoors, and don't oh, shit. Oh, God, drop my phone. <laughs> and now that we have you all where we want you, please... While you're under quarantine, rate and review and subscribe. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can assuage some of the boredom because I know that is a huge problem right now. Anyways, on to the show. Billy tugged at his father's jeans with what little of the tight-fitting pants he managed to pinch between his small fingers. His dad shook his leg like a horse shaking off a fly. Billy tried again. This time, his dad, the tall, dark-haired man who seemed to Billy to be damn near as tall as the trees, mumbled, Uh, sick, huh, and went back to swiping and punching his finger at the little screen. His brow was pinched with such forward concentration that Billy thought he looked like a man who was trying to shoot lasers from his eyes for the first time, or trying to move objects with his mind like the heroes in the comic books. Billy's chest filled with hope for a moment, so brief, it could have been a fart passing in the wind. He wanted his dad to be a real hero. His dad was supposed to be his hero, but mostly his dad was just a lanky, bespectacled man who couldn't put down his phone long enough to go outside and throw the ball with his own son. Billy knew they would never be a true American father-son duo until the rite of passage was observed. They had to mid up and toss the pearl back and forth in the yard. Billy had fallen in love with classic cartoons. 
there was something more genuine about the cartoonish violence between Tom and Jerry than the modern cartoons that seemed convinced that kids could only appreciate simple animation and fart jokes. Billy refused to be one of those dopes who enjoyed such garbage. He was as much an anachronism with music, preferring Led Zeppelin and Moxie to the likes of Cardi B and MGK. He decided that tossing the pigskin around would perhaps be American enough, and his dad did enjoy the hell out of football. Mostly, his dad enjoyed betting on football on the app on his phone, but it was still one of the few things that managed to be able to pull his eyes from the six inches of screen that he held in his hands. Baseball, though, that was the prize. Billy had taught himself to catch. He dug a mitt out of one of the free bins in front of the local gift shops a few years back, and then had practiced throwing the ball off of the concrete retaining wall down by the canal that ushered the creek through town. His dad had noticed the mitt and had looked at it with a glint in his eye that can only be drawn out of a man by seeing a prized relic from childhood. The glint of the boy that had once been, that lies deep within all men, and said, Hey, Bill, I'll dig up my mitt soon, and we can go out and put in a game of father and son catch. What do you say to that? Billy was momentarily awestruck. A grin lit upon his face that was the grin of a boy knowing that he was taking one of his first steps towards being a man. From that day forward, he'd gone out in the yard and thrown the ball to himself off of the fence, with a wad of Cheerios tucked into his lip and spitting like it was the real deal. He'd have used some gum, some old-school Big League Chew, but his mom thought gum was bad for your teeth, and the only real tobacco product in the house was his dad's vape pen, an object Billy refused to acknowledge. There was something so quintessentially feminine about a vape pen that Billy went to a special place in the back of his own mind every time his dad put the little pecker-shaped object into his own mouth. My dad is a man, Billy whispered to himself before imagining that he and his father were out hunting wild hogs in some tropical jungle armed with only bowie knives. Like that one crocodile guy wore in those old movies. He didn't need his dad to kill animals with his bare hands or anything. He just wanted to go out and be one of the boys of summer. Maybe toss the pill a little. After a bit, his dad would put on the heat and give him a little bit of the cheese. Maybe they'd break out the lumber and Billy's first dinger could come off of a high and wild fastball. He'd parade around the yard and feel every last fan at Fenway cheering him from his yard. And he'd imagine it with such clarity that it would be as good as real. But Billy couldn't get his dad away from the solitaire game. Billy knew his pops had put money down and that meant he needed to focus. But if life was meant for nothing more than working and pecking at a little screen, Billy didn't know if he wanted any part of it. All of that aside, what Billy wanted at this moment was a couple of bucks to hit up the old ice cream truck that was currently putting down Harris Avenue and within a few minutes would be passing their house. When Billy had first heard the calliope music coming down the street, he thought that it was a couple of teenagers up to no good in pranking people. But then an honest-to-goodness ice cream truck turned off of First Street. It had the giant peak ice cream cone on top and everything. Billy swore for the first time when he saw it, a moment he had hoped to hold out for his first baseball game. He imagined a grounder taking a bad hop and saying, Damn! and spitting some real chew into the dirt as he worked the knot out of his forearm where it hit. 
Instead, as he saw the ice cream truck putting its way down his street, he said, Holy shit. And then ran for his old man. Dad, can I have a buck? Billy shouted suddenly. Uh, what? Billy just, uh, just sick. His dad mumbled, never taking his eyes from the screen. His dad was damn near drooling. He'd have sworn that in court. Hell, he'd have sworn it in front of the president if he had to. Yes, your honor, my dad is a bona fide drooling monkey, he thought. The sound of the music got closer and closer. Dad, can I have a dollar? An ice cream truck, Billy shouted, whacking his dad on the leg. His dad perked up a little, glared down at him, and then said, What's the matter with you, kid? Billy just glared up at him. He'd fight the old man for the dollar if he had to. He really would. Ah, here you go, his dad said, handing him a five. The tense moment passed, and Billy, to his surprise, saw his dad get up off of the couch and follow Billy to the front door. He never took his eyes from his phone, and he mumbled curses of his own while they walked. His dad sat on the front porch swing and kept playing as Billy ran down the walk toward the truck. His timing couldn't have been better. Billy ran with his baseball cap pulled low and his scraggly blonde hair flying behind him. He held the five as high above his head as he could. He nearly leapt when he shouted, Hey, mister! Hey, I got a five! The truck slowed to a roll and then stopped, just as clean and neat at the edge of the walk as Billy would have thought would be possible. It was almost as though the extra five feet from the sidewalk through the grassy setback to the street was made for this transaction. Billy slowed to a brisk walk and then finally stopped in front of the counter. For a moment, he just stood, breathing hard and staring at the side of the ice cream truck. The music, a little jingle-jangle that seemed straight out of the Tom and Jerry golden years, played for a moment. Billy heard his dad swear at the cards he'd been dealt, and he nearly glanced back over his shoulder, and perhaps later he'd be glad that he didn't. After all, he didn't want the last time he ever saw his father to be seeing him drooling while staring at that dumb little phone. Not that the semi-consciousness in which he'd handed Billy the Five was much better, but if he had to choose, he'd say that he was glad he never looked back. The rolling door over the counter rolled up, and at first Billy saw no one. He was pretty short himself, and his gaze was aiming at the height he expected of an adult. He heard a throat-clearing cough, and then a man said in a strangely higher-pitched yet gravelly voice, down here, Billy boy. Billy saw the oddest-looking man he'd ever seen. The man was short and skinny in a sort of sickly way. He had a large head that looked like it should have been on an action hero's body, maybe somebody like Arnold. Heavy wouldn't begin to describe the man's brow. His brow was bulbous and doubly so as it was bisected with a strange deep recess down the center. Perhaps it was a scar. The man had a crown of blondish, brownish, thinnish hair. More disconcerting than the shape of the man's head were his eyes. His god-awful, strange eyes. They were large and blue and brimming with an intelligence that said, I know what's what, but do you? I doubt you. I doubt you very much. 
There was also a hatred in those eyes. If Billy had to say it plainly, he'd call those eyes cold, calculating, and full of malice. But then the man said, What'll it be, Billy boy? How? Was all Billy managed to say before the man grinned at him, a grin that did not extend into the man's eyes. He said, One double chocolate scoop. Coming right up. I'll put a scoop of mint chocolate chip packed down into the cone, too. I know that's what you've been debating right now. He disappeared back into the van. There was a moment as the man went through a door in the back of the van that Billy glimpsed something odd. He thought for a second that he saw a hula hoop hanging from some kind of meat hook with a jump rope tied around it. Billy would have put money, more than what his dad had wasted on daily fantasy football games, on that hula hoop and rope belonging to Susie and Emerson down the street. That begged the question, why did this man have them? Concern, nearly as strong as grief, reared up like a cobra preparing to strike in the back of Billy's mind. But then the man came back out carrying the most beautifully crafted ice cream cone that Billy had ever seen. The chocolate scoops were pristine little bonnets of lightly brown ice cream stacked on top of each other. There was no sign of the mint chocolate chip lurking beneath, but Billy had no doubts that it was there. The cone was like none he'd ever seen before. It was large and waffled, but it had a thickness and texture to it that made Billy's mouth water. That's right, the man said with a look of fascination on his face, a look that might have reminded Billy of a hunter watching prey step into a live trap if Billy hadn't been transfixed by the perfect scoop of ice cream being presented to him. It's a homemade cone, the man hissed, perhaps drooling a little himself. At this, Billy's eyes about bugged out from his head. The cone was just about in his grasp when the man pulled it away and said, Ah, 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 tsk, tsk, Billy, my boy. Aren't we forgetting something? Billy stared at him, dumbfounded for a moment. The alarms in his mind growing louder, nearly loud enough to take hold, but then he remembered the five and said, Oh, sure thing, mister. This should cover it. Billy waved the five in the air and the man snatched it from him. Yes, uh, that would pay for the gas, wouldn't it? But I'll tell you a secret, Billy, the man said and leaned in low. What I drive doesn't require gasoline. His hot breath hit Billy's face. It smelled of decay and sour milk. Suddenly, Billy wasn't so sure he wanted his ice cream back. There was a stain on the man's apron that Billy could see. It was red, red like the stains of blood. Oh, no, Bill, the man said. You don't need to worry about that. Those stains don't come from children. The man grinned again. This time, his mouth seemed to shrink. Instead of the wide, white smile Billy had seen before, the man's teeth looked smaller and pointier. His mouth looked more like that of the suckerfish that cleaned Billy's fish tank. How do you know my name? Billy asked. The man smiled at him and said, I know everything that they know once they become. B -b -b become what? Billy stammered. He wanted to call out for his dad. He wanted to scream, but he was frozen to the spot. Why, part of us, Billy? The man said matter-of-factly, and then he handed the ice cream to Billy, and suddenly Billy felt as though everything were normal.
It's not, a voice called distantly from the back of his mind. The cone looked even better than it had when the man held it out. Strange, Billy thought. If I didn't know better, I'd think that there were claws inside the fingers of those gloves. The thought didn't seem to scare him. He licked the ice cream, and Billy's head lit up as though a thousand fireworks had set off across all of the pleasure centers of his brain. He licked at the cone ravenously, and the man smiled down at him. Hey, Bill. That's quite the baseball mitt you've got there. I have a collection of things. Do you want to see it? Ah, sure thing, mister, Billy said in a daze. Run, run, run now. That voice in his mind grew quieter and more distant. Come step around here, Bill, the man said as he stepped down from the truck. He was only about a half a head taller than Billy, which would have put him below five feet tall. Weird, Billy thought, and the man said, I don't need to be tall to survive. I just need to make the ice cream and drive truck. The man opened the back of the truck, and what Billy saw would have frozen him in his tracks. But you know what? Everything seemed to be a-okay. He had his ice cream. This man had his truck, and he had all of the other neighborhood kids in it. He saw Susie and Emmy from down the lane. George, who lived two blocks down in the tall Victorian with two dads. The Thompson boy, who Billy hadn't met, and a few others were all there, sitting on a bench, eating the ice cream, sitting with tubes drilled into the sides of their heads and some glowing, pulsating substance, not quite a substance, but more of an aura, being pumped from them into large vats that danced with brilliant light. We only keep the good parts, the man said, his eyes glimmering. We leave the rest for the Parents, huh? That way nobody ever knows. If Larry Jorgensen had looked up from his phone at that minute, he would have seen a small, oddly shaped man hand his son an ice cream cone before leading him around the back of the van. That would have been alarming. But what would have possibly driven Larry insane was that when the man took the boy by his arm and led him into the back of the van, another boy appeared in his place. It was as if the boy had split into two boys, one stepping out from the other, but Larry never looked up. He was on a hot streak. At 60 cents a game, he'd won 14 hands of solitaire in a row. You could ignore a child for just a little longer with that kind of streak, right? He'd put down his phone and throw the ball with his boy in just a little while. In just a little while, he thought. Micah deposited a healthy load of semen on Ashton's face. They said that the sperm counts had been decreasing for decades across all men, but Micah sure couldn't see it. Ashton wiped her chin with a glowing, open-mouthed smile. Her eyes glittered like jewels as they peered right into Micah's, almost brimming with life. It was that look that made what he had with Ashton special, he thought. It was a real look. Oh my god, Ashton said. That was a lot. Micah just smiled and touched her cheek, which was round and vivacious, but pitted beneath her dimple. 
Ashton was quite literally one of the most beautiful women who had ever lived. He knew it because a large number of people had voted on it. Come with me, he said coolly, offering his hand, which she took and he helped her from the floor. Standing, she shook her head so that her straight blonde locks would fall straight, and then flashed her eyes at Micah again before watching her feet as he led her around the corner out of the bedroom. By the door to a small room like a closet, in the brief hallway between the bedroom and the living room of his apartment, Micah stopped her, still holding her hand, and with his other hand, he petted her cheek and neck while he gazed into her jewel beetle eyes, which now searched him, her pupils darting like gnats. She smirked. She was a little flushed still. That was amazing, Micah told her. I know, she said. Micah opened the closet door. She turned her gaze behind her and saw the empty little room. She pecked him on the cheek and stepped inside, smiling, ear to ear. She gave a coy little wave with her fingers as he shut the door. Through the window in the door, Micah could see her hand lowering, but her smile remained. Micah slapped the red button on the wall with the palm of his hand, and fire coursed down into the room, destroying her. With a blank face, he watched the flesh vanish in the orange, leaving only the gunmetal skeleton that would go back into the printer after it cooled. Micah lumbered still naked into the kitchen, a skinny and hollow-looking sort of man, his desiccated testicles sagging nearly halfway to his knees and sticking to his thighs. It was clear to him he was a little drunk, so he took a big glass of water and then ate a mandarin. He looked out the window as he pulled apart the slices and ate them one at a time. Snow fell slowly on a tired city. Though it fell and fell, it never seemed to accumulate beyond an inch. The next afternoon, Micah let himself off work early. It was the fourth time that week. It was easy to do when you worked for yourself and at home. Before it was two in the afternoon, he found himself browsing profiles on Aphrodite. He didn't understand how there were always more. As many as he had been with, there were always more, and top-rated ones, too. Many of them, he knew, were dead. He tried not to think about that. Others were as old as his grandmother by now. He tried even harder not to think about that. The first generations were the past likenesses that aging porn stars licensed of themselves as they grew too old to find work in the industry. Models based off of them in their prime, sometimes made up after certain famous or even infamous pornographic clips. The newer generations were often college girls who needed the money, or social media models who craved the affirmation of the rating users would give them, potentially ranking them one of the most attractive women who had ever lived, like Ashton. Micah popped open a beer and scrolled through the cascade of faces. There were some, especially near the top, that he had seen, and sometimes coupled with many times. But there was also a smattering of new faces, some above a 90% rating. Nearly every permutation of facial characteristics flew by, light skin or darker skin, skinny and tiny or softly round, dimples, white eyes, Asian eyes, black hair, blonde hair, redheads. There was a search bar and filters, but Micah didn't use those. He liked variety. He liked to browse the whole gamut and be surprised by what he found. He navigated by feeling. He didn't know who he was looking for, but he would know when he saw her. 
there would be a spark. He didn't know what it was, but certain faces when seen at just the right time. And there were no obvious commonalities between the women he chose. He finished his first can of beer, and already he felt a little swimmy. That's where he liked to be as things got started. Micah found Margot. Margot had been a French porn star, apparently. Very petite of body, youthful, with straight black hair and heavy eyebrows. Her rating was only 86%, but that wasn't terribly important to Micah. That mysterious spark was important, and she had kindled it at the first photograph of her he saw. Micah was a premium subscriber on Aphroditely, so the license for Margot was included in his $15 a month. He added Margot to his queue and sent her directly to the printer. He got up and retrieved his second beer from the kitchen while the printer chugged to life and began to wrap his multi-use skeleton in a new flesh of silicone-based smart material. While the license for a likeness was relatively cheap, it was really the skeleton and the materials that were the expense. Micah was fortunate that his work paid well enough that he wasn't among the majority of men who still relied on VR, or even video clips. He couldn't imagine. He hadn't watched video clips since he was 15, and he had shelved the VR set three or four years ago now. As Micah stumbled back toward the office, chugging his new beer, he passed the Deltoff display case, lit with colored LEDs and full of waifu, of figurines of women and girls from the anime he watched, his shiny six-foot-high shrine to womankind. He could hear the printer chugging. He plopped back into the chair at his desk and watched a few of the porn clips on Margot's profile to get warmed up for her. It was easy when he was a little drunk. His cock practically threw itself into his hand. Take me, take me now, the little chubber was crying. The thought made him chuckle. The printer clunked. It was a sound he dreaded. When it ran out of a smart material, it made a particular sound as it locked up. What now? Micah wondered, chub in hand. He was one foot into the pool to realize there wasn't enough water to swim. He could either go on with more video clips, or he had to make himself presentable enough to go out and buy smart material at Walmart. He zipped up and went to the mirror. He didn't look too out of sorts, but he certainly felt a bit. He had a suspicion that anybody could tell just by looking at him that he was a little drunk and that he was just masturbating. Just because he knew it, it felt like anyone else would immediately know it, too. Micah was only two beers in, but he smartly elected to walk, and though it would be cheaper at Walmart, the no-name mom-and-pop hardware store that old people went to downtown was closer, and he was less likely to see people he knew there. And this was important because, also, he felt like anyone could see right through his purchase of smart material. What else would a young man be doing with it, anyway? Practicing his advanced engineering skills? Unlikely. Micah put on his coat, boots, hat, and glasses, examining his hands all the while. No, I'm totally steady, he told himself. I'm good. He went out the door, down the hall, and out to the street, hands in pockets and eyes on the fresh snow. The glasses adjusted instantly against the glare. The alcohol made him have daring thoughts about being out in the world, where real women were. He thought about cheating the system by lowering the glasses a little on his nose and looking over them. And then, if a woman noticed this, 
and they had momentary eye contact unmediated by them. The thought gave him a thrill, and he was almost bold enough to try it. What if a woman was impressed by his daring, by his old-time forwardness? But Micah's aim remained untouched. His concern was getting smart material and getting back to what waited unfinished at his apartment. That was realistic. The other thoughts were not. Of the cars that passed, about half of the windscreens were blacked out. This mundane fact was hardly noticed. But near the post office, Micah came upon the first female of his excursion. What he saw through his glasses was the black overlay of the hijab. In theory, it depended on each woman's privacy setting. But a woman who didn't enforce that the male strangers around her cover up their vision with the digital black rectangle hijab were basically unknown. They usually would be trans women who, for some reason, refused the modesty of concealing their sexual characteristics and were not as pressured to elect this protection. Even women too poor to afford the technology, or who had extreme views like some Christian kooks, and objected to it, would be concealed by default in the vision of surrounding males. Micah wanted to know what the woman passing him on the street looked like. The curiosity burned in his most primal heart, but even a little loosened up by the beer, he knew the last thing he wanted was a sexual assault charge. It felt so hopeless. Women really were a species apart, unless you had a mutual acquaintance who could introduce you, or you had reasonable business to be speaking to her for the sake of your work, and then that was only possible if you were service personnel, and not if you had any management, executive, or human resources position. Even if you could get an introduction, it was a big thing for a woman to put you on the allowed list. For those who still dated rather than doing it the normal way, it generally happened on the second or third date. With a sidelong gaze masked by the glasses, Micah watched the black block disappear into the post office doors. What if she looks like Margot? Micah wondered. I'll never know. Crossing the street while hardly aware of it, that's when the car hit him and threw him to the curb. Micah became conscious in the emergency room staring into the aching fluorescent lights of the ceiling. He felt a little nauseous, and there was something different about his head. His vision was unmediated by the smart glasses, so he didn't immediately know where he was or what was happening to him without its information overlay. He felt good, really good, for having just been hit by a car. He had already been apparently well-medicated. When someone came in, Micah winced and covered his eyes, which was good, because when the doctor spoke, it was with a feminine voice. Micah found himself muttering apologies for his missing glasses. The doctor assured him everything was okay. His glasses had been broken in the accident. In a flash, he remembered what he had been doing, and that half-finished Margot still waited in the printer. He felt like the doctor knew what he was doing, even though it was impossible and this added to the red flush that had already begun to dawn when he realized his doctor was a woman. I've never been without my glasses in public before, Micah assured her. I know. That's fine. You're doing fine, she said, cooing. We'll get you a mask to wear, if that makes you more comfortable. Around his fingers, Micah could see the intimations of blonde hair and blue scrubs. He was seeing too much. 
He was ashamed, but at the same time it was so hot. He thought about stealing a glance, but he told himself he could never do that to a woman. He was a good guy. He couldn't do it. But it was so sexy to see the blonde hair put up in a bun on the back of her head. Micah began to panic inwardly as he became sexually aroused. He was wearing one of those hospital aprons, and there would be no hiding it. He whimpered. His breaths grew shallow. Oh, oh my, the doctor said, causing Micah to wince and stutter again that he was so, so sorry. Micah heard other movement in the room. Oh, God, he thought. The nurse is here, too. Oh, said a different, darker female voice. In his mind, he pictured the doctor as Ashton and the nurse like Margot. The doctor stuttered in a way that was very curious for how Micah imagined a doctor. No one, no, no one's ever done that for me before. What? Micah squeaked. He did it. He lowered his hand and beheld the two most monstrous women he had ever seen, so out of shape and discombobulated that they seemed to be a completely different species from the women on Aphrodite. These were women whose appearances and behavior had been almost entirely unmodulated by the judgment of their own attractiveness to men for their whole lives. That, or a lifetime of primarily experiencing women through the filter of Aphrodite, had spoiled his expectations. They leaned over him, fascinated by what no one had ever shown in real life though not necessarily attracted to it, just curious and flattered and perhaps feeling a little devilish. Micah screamed as he involuntarily ejaculated. That's it. We hope you enjoyed this recorded from quarantine episode of Monster Porn. Please support the show by making sure you're subscribed. Ring that bell for notifications. Spin around and clap your hands to get them faster. And do a little jig for y'all to bay off. Also, leave Monster Porn a review on Apple Podcasts. Every rating and review helps the show. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, Monster Baiters, stay weird. And Godspeed, strange heckin' cowboy. Yeah!